table of the Lord is set for all. That it's not my table or multi-nations table, but the Lord opens his arms to all people. He ate with the sinners and the tax collectors. He eats with us still. What a mystery. What a wonder. Not only that, we talked about what do we have to offer to this table. And we learned about the five loaves and two fish that God will receive inadequate gifts from inadequate givers and bless them and multiply what we offer to the Lord. We talked about how that when we're at the feet of Jesus, sometimes we need to be merry. While Martha was running around preparing and working, Mary chose the good portion, the good portion of the meal, the main course, which was to be in the presence of Jesus. And then we've looked at this, this story again about how the Lord calls us at the dinner party to be clean vessels. We don't want to serve others with dirty dishes. Make the inside clean, not only the outside. Be clean through and through. And today we look at a different gospel, not Luke, but John. And this incredible story of Jesus' first miracle, which of course took place at a party, a dinner party. Would you go with me first to the Lord in prayer? Lord, teach us the truth of your word. May this word lay hold on our lives and transform us from within. May our minds be renewed and refocused as we hear it. God, we say we, we wrestle with your word, but we pray that you, your word would overpower us and subdue us, that we might surrender. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love hanging out and spending time with old people. You can decide for yourself if you're old or not. <laughs> but I love being with old people because they, they no longer have a filter for what they say. They don't care what they say or, or if it offends you or, or not. They just say what they think. And I, I really like that because it entertains me. And I especially love older couples. Old married couples are the best to spend time with because they have no filter with each other. <laughs> and they've been together for so long, they feel free to say whatever they think. And one of my favorite older couples... They're both passed away now. They're no longer living. But it was this couple named Ray and Van Jones. Evangeline was her full name. But her husband called her Van. And Ray had no filter. In fact, he was the most filterless human being I've ever known in my life. He just said it like he thought it. And he loved to especially pick on his wife and make fun of her cooking. She was not a good cook. <laughs> Don't invite her to cook the meal for dinner with Jesus. Jesus might have to get up and leave. And I remember one time I came to visit Ray, and he was installing a device 
on the ceiling in his kitchen. And I said, Ray, what are you doing? He said, I'm installing the oven timer. And I looked and I said, Ray, that looks like a smoke detector to me. He said, exactly. When it goes off, I know that Van has finished cooking dinner. (laughs) One day, Van came out. We were sitting on the porch, and she comes out very upset because she had baked biscuits for us. And she said, Ray, honey, I'm so sorry. The dog ate all of the biscuits. And if you are from the UK, by the way, biscuits are not cookies. They're biscuits. But if you don't know that, I can provide counseling later. Just send me a message. And so she comes out, Ray, I'm so sorry, honey. The dog ate the biscuits. And Ray, without missing a beat, said, don't worry, Van, we can get a new dog. (laughs) Some people are not designed to provide a meal. Some people are not geared that way. We're so blessed to have People like Debbie and Anusha and so many others who work, Karen and, and, and Aline, who work to provide meals and fellowship. But some people aren't good at that, like Van. I love to cook. I think I'm good at it. But I promise you, when I was in my 20s, you would not want to risk eating what Mason was cooking. <laughs> Back when you were in your younger days, some of you are there now. Do you remember the kinds of things you ate and called it food? The types of things you prepared and pretended like it was a feast? You know, we can concoct and and create some terrible things. Like in the U.S., we have hot pockets. If you ever find yourself in the United States of America and you see in the grocery store, in the frozen microwavable food section, something that says Hot Pockets, you can do one of two things. You could buy it and eat it and regret it for hours and days, or you could buy it and just immediately throw it into the toilet and save a step. (laughs) I used to eat Hot Pockets all the time. And so here's what my friends and I did. We, in college, in our early 20s, We would look around to see which churches in North Carolina, where I'm from, were having homecoming. If you're not familiar with this in the southern United States, this is a major part of church life where every year, typically in the fall, September, October, November, churches have homecoming where family from long ago and far away come home They go to church together. The church brings back the old pastor to hear his old sermon (laughs) that they probably already heard. They have a worship service. But the most important thing they do after is the homecoming lunch. All kinds of food. Tables as long as this room covered with homemade Southern American dishes and pies and and cakes and so many rich foods. And so as we were driving around the countryside, if we saw a marquee, a sign in front of a church saying, this Sunday, homecoming, we would show up. We would just pretend we were long lost cousins. (laughs) Like the movie Wedding Crashers, only we were church crashers and we would just eat and eat and have such a good time. But nowhere in the world 
would you ever find better food than at the table of my mother? You would probably say the same thing about your own mother. Close your eyes and picture in your mind the Sunday lunch or Sunday dinner, all the wonderful food prepared. Can you, can you smell it? Can you see it? Don't worry, we won't go too long today. <laughs> and my favorite thing was when my mother, while we were clearing away the dishes and finishing up the main course, if she said, save your forks, keep your fork. Because we knew that she had prepared a rich and wonderful dessert that would blow your mind, that would be so amazing. And so when she said, keep your forks, it was a reminder that the best is yet to come. This is the very truth in this first miracle of Jesus in Canaan at the wedding feast. Jesus reveals that God has said, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. And even in our series, we've had dinner after dinner with Jesus, and now today the best is revealed. The true meaning of Jesus and his work upon the earth. The the people at the party say, you have kept the best for last. Only now, at the end of the age, and the final breaths of this broken creation, when it seems the darkest And perhaps things are only getting darker. But now at the edge of eternity, when we know it could be any day, any moment that Jesus Christ shall come again, now at the last, we receive the best. Jesus reveals his glory. Look with me at that story. John chapter 2. It starts in verse 1. The fairy first miracle of Jesus. It tells us that it was on the third day. Do you think there's any mistake on that date, the third day? Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, Jesus said. This is to be a sign unto you that the Messiah will suffer and be crucified and die, but on the third day he will rise again. On the third day, the revelation that Jesus has defeated not only sin and death, but all of darkness, all of sinful humanity now has new life. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. Hang on a moment, because I will share with you something that for many times in my life I have heard this part of the story read almost like Jesus is pointing his finger at his mother Mary and saying, woman, or putting his hands on his hip and saying, woman. But that's not the meaning of the word. 
It's a word of deep respect and reverence. He adores his mother. He honors his mother. And he says to her, not woman, but woman. Picture the smile on his face as he says it. It'll change the way you hear this story for the rest of your life. He says, woman, what has this got to do with me and you? My hour is not yet come, meaning the hour of his death and resurrection. And yet, it's not for Mary to determine the pace of Jesus and his ministry and the revelation. And yet, he does what mama says. (laughs) That's important. He does what his mother says. He takes care of the problem. And it tells us in verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. We're not told this yet, but everyone who was involved in the story saw it happen. They filled the jars with water. The water has become wine. There is no mistake in this either, my friends. Just as there was no mistake in it being three days, on the third day, and now water and wine. In this series, we have started out with the Lord's Supper and the symbol of wine, which is the symbol of Christ's blood. And we also had in this series a baptism, the symbol of water, the symbol of the Holy Spirit cleansing us in our salvation. Water and wine. The Lord's Supper and baptism, the two ordinances, the two symbols of our faith, the two things that we do in church that matter more than anything else. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Here we are meant to draw to mind all of that symbolism. The cleansing waters of baptism. Not that there's magic in the water and the water did not save you, but it was an outward sign of what was going on in your life. A a sign that was paid for by the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus. And so the servants did exactly what they were told, and they took it to the steward. And then in verse 9, when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called to the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. In other words, when they don't know any better, you you save the cheap stuff for then, so they can't tell how cheap you are. But you have brought out the best Last. But you have kept the good wine until now, he said. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed him. 
So there is all of this symbolism of resurrection on the third day, the waters of baptism, the blood of sacrifice upon the cross. Everything is pointing towards those realities. But what I cannot help but notice is someone who tries to look for symbol and patterns and meaning. We have to pay attention to the details that the author gives us because when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are writing down their account of Jesus, every detail that they share matters. We know this because Luke himself tells us he could not even write down everything that Jesus did, nor everything that Jesus said, that all the books in the world could not hold all of the accounts and the details of Jesus' doings and sayings. So, every detail that is recorded it means something. And this is where I have a problem because one of the things that I zero in on in the details are the numbers. We already talked about three, but now we're told six. Six stone water jars. So it starts to make me want to do math, which is not good because I think math is from the devil. I think math is evil. I don't like math. My brain doesn't process math. Just ask our finance team. That's why we have them. But I I can make sense of this. It's as easy math. Why not seven? That's the first question I asked. Why not seven? Seven, you may know, is the holy number. There are seven days in the book of Genesis. The seventh day is the day of rest. The, the holy day, the Sabbath day, is the seventh day of the week. And so seven represents the divine and the perfect, but they are not seven jars. They are six. Do you know what six represents? In biblical numbering, numbers matter in the Bible. And six, it's the sixth day when God created man and woman. When God created humanity on the sixth day, that's important because six becomes the number of humanity. But also, it's one short of seven. Meaning what? Not quite perfect. It's not perfect at all. It's not perfection. It's not divine. It's not holy. It's just human, flawed, broken, imperfect, and unfinished. Do you ever feel like that? Unfinished, broken, imperfect, incomplete. And it is these human vessels, vessels of human ritual, by the way, for ritual cleansing, cleansing that you could wash in those waters every day, every hour for the rest of your life and never be clean within your spirit. But God takes these broken, incomplete human vessels that are just trying to make things clean on their own, and they never will, but he takes those and fills them with the wine 
holy wine. Miraculous wine. Wine he himself has created. Do you follow that into your own life? Do do you follow that pathway of logic that Jesus is acting out something for us? He is acting out, literally acting out something mysterious. That you and I, you and I are the six vessels. The human vessels that are broken and incomplete. And we, like those ritual cleansing vessels, we have tried everything to make our lives complete, haven't we? We have tried our career, find the purpose or or meaning in our job. We work ourselves seeking to feel like we matter. We're complete. We have tried self-help gurus. We scan the internet looking for just the best and smartest wisdom. Who is the number one bestseller this week? It's probably going to be someone who's writing 10 rules to improve your life, seven keys to a happy marriage. It's something that's supposed to unlock this worldly wisdom. But the worldly wisdom never works out, does it? Or maybe we tried to find love if if we just had the love of our life. Or, Or when that didn't work out, let's try having a kid and see if that works. And then we live through our children, hoping that they will bring us meaning and joy. And indeed they do, but is it ever quite enough? Sometimes we turn to darker things. Not just drugs or alcohol addiction, but we can get addicted to the internet or addicted to binge watching our favorite show. Oh, if I could just see what happens on the next episode, won't that be fun? And these two become these sort of spider webs of addiction that cling to us and we cannot quite get away from them. And the more time we spend in front of the screen, the less human we become. We just become zombies in a world of someone else's creation. Sometimes people are very strong-willed and intellectual, and they say, well, I can just make my way in this world. I don't need the crutch of religion. I don't need the superstition of the church. I can stand on my own two feet and be strong and make it in this world. I can use my own reason to figure out life's problems, my own logic to come up with solutions for my troubles. And yet we see time and time again those same people at the end of the life full of regrets and what-ifs and I wish I had and why did I make so many wrong turns? And we look at our lives when we are saying that and even we as believers are guilty of this all the time of trying to do it on our own and we should turn around and say to ourselves in the mirror how is this working out for us i had a conversation with a young man some months ago who was telling me all of this that i just said i i am going to make it on my own and yet they were 
angry and bitter and miserable and did not even realize it. And so I just said to them, how is it working for you? And then the tears came because it wasn't working. It wasn't working. We are the six vessels and we'll never be enough on our own. But we don't have to be. We don't even have to fill ourselves up. We don't have to fill our lives with meaning. Jesus sends his servants and says, fill the jars with water, and within the water becomes wine, the symbol of Jesus' own sacrifice. We come to the table of the Lord today. We see these these symbols of bread and wine, the, the cup and the loaf. And they are just symbols. There's no magic in this table. But what a blessed symbol they are. They tell us a story. A story of a man from Nazareth, but it wasn't just any man. He was God. And God humbled himself to become a man. Sometimes we wouldn't even humble ourselves to pick up a coin off the street. And yet he humbled himself to the dirt and the muck and the mire of Palestine. He had dirty feet and a hungry belly and a crick in his neck from sleeping on the ground. And he did all of this so that he might perform miracles and teach truths and present us with something that would Fill our six jars with life. And he did it not only for us, but, but so that we, like the wine in those jars, might keep the party going for others. That we, like the wine in those jars, might be the source of joy and life for others. And he offers it to us today, here and now. Because that same man who had the crook in his neck and the hungry belly and the dirty toes, who taught great truths and performed great miracles, that journey took him all the way to his own death, a death of his own choosing. He told us time and time again, the Son of Man must suffer and be crucified so that we might receive life, so that we might be filled with the water that turns to wine, so that we might have joy and be joy to others. In just a moment, we're going to share in this meal together, and I invite the praise team to come again. But we want to offer you a time of song to prepare your heart and your mind to receive this meal provided by Jesus, the best cook ever. And he has provided it for us as a time to reflect on our own life. Are you receiving the wine today? Are you a part of that joy? Are you at the party with Jesus in your life? Are you allowing Jesus to fill you with living water? Or do you find yourself today still trying to make it on your own? Still trying to be enough? Still trying to measure up? Would you take this moment of song to turn to the Lord in prayer? You can certainly come here and pray if you like at the altar, or you can kneel where where you are or simply stand there 
as we sing and let this song be a prayer from your heart. But the Bible tells us to, to take a moment that we not come quickly or unworthily to the Lord's table. This is your time with Jesus. Let him speak to your heart. Let him fill you, the broken and imperfect vessel. May you leave this place filled with the Holy Spirit today.